Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is the Power to Become the podcast. It's been a while. Probably like two weeks now, I think. Yeah, this episode's a little late to come out because of the Power to Become conference that happened just last Friday. Uh, Guys, it was so much fun. Like, holy cow, I was not expecting... That was my first one that I've ever been to. There's so many people. I think by the end of the night, there was probably like a thousand people cheering on Madeline Page for the concert afterwards. And there was like hundreds of people during the speakers and the games and everything. And that was so cool. Um, I loved watching everybody play. Hopefully, you guys get to see some of those talks coming out soon. But if you didn't get a chance to go, let me just tell you what you missed out on real quick. Okay, so we had four awesome speakers that gave great talks, similar to like things that you hear on the podcast, but a bit more like structured and a little less casual, but just so much fun still. We had a big screen, Big screen. they would put their slides up there with all their talking points. They'd interact with the crowd, had lots of, lots of jokes, and really they shared awesome stories. And great advice for things like networking. Um, and on top of that, we had an awesome host. It was Donald Kelly, who was also a speaker there, who flew in from Florida just to be there with him and his family. So big shout outs to Donald Kelly. Go follow him, the sales evangelist on LinkedIn. He loves connecting with everybody. We had a massive game of rock, paper, scissors with the entire audience. And we had the finalists come up on stage and the winner won a Nintendo Switch. We had heads or tails where Donald got up and he flipped a coin like 10 times or something and 50 times, I don't know. It was a ton of times and you'd see the crowd like everyone shouting like heads, tails. And then he would say, oh, it's heads. And like, you'd hear like half of the audience just go, oh man, and then they'd all sit down. And that was so fun. Um, guys, it was so cool. I loved being there in person and I loved meeting some of you guys out there and being able to interact with you. So, so glad that that happened. But now we're a little late to the podcast. There's a lot of stuff. I've been a little lazy. I, felt, I was like, man, I didn't really want to edit this episode. I just want to like, you know, go home, sleep. But, you know, here we are. And I'm glad I did because this was such an awesome episode with Karen Asplund. She is a graphic designer and a teacher she is a photographer, she is in the world of visual media communications. In this episode, we talked a lot about what it takes to really enjoy and explore the career of visual media communications. Um, that's That's things like graphic design and photography, but also like writing for blogs or writing social media posts. Um, writing for say like a magazine or a newsletter or something like that. She has done it all and we talk about the benefits of having versatility in your skill set for visual communications. Understanding things like design, design programs, um, photography. There's so many things out there that you have to explore yourself and to really just sit down and learn and she's really been one of those people that has put in the time on her own, staying up late, learning those things, interacting with big names on social media so that she can learn how the ins and the outs of Instagram. Um, And so we get into that a little bit. And this episode's a little bit longer and it's perfect for just absorbing all of that information. And we're also joined by another member of the Power to Become team. Her name's Emma, she's a good friend and it was awesome to have her, so, so glad. 
Anyways, enjoy the episode. We'll talk to you guys after. Well, thanks for coming in again. Sure. Um, so, Sister Esplin, I guess we should probably start with your um, journey to BYU-Idaho a little bit. I think that'd be kind of good because you're a professor here and you've been teaching for how long here? Thanks, Noah. Well, I am <laughs> going to be about, let's see, 19 years. 19 years? I retired wow. in about a year and I wanted to get, make it to 20 years. So, wow. But I waited until a little later. Um, got most of the kids raised before I started teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a graphic design home-based business. And I had a, a lot of clients, as much as I needed, and with, you know, kids at home. So that's where I started. And uh, my sister was a professional artist. She had a big influence on me, and I learned from her. But I really liked the graphic design part of it more than the fine art um, side. So a lot of T-shirt designs, logo designs. And then I had a lot of clients who kept asking for photography. Can't you come take photos of our business? And, you know, maybe put them in this brochure or whatever. And I decided I needed to add those skills. So I had some friends who yeah. were professional photographers and, and professionally trained. So I started learning how to develop images in the dark room and added photography to it. Yeah. It's kind of funny because uh, I feel like that happens to a lot of communications people, even though you weren't like officially like communications, you were doing graphic design. Right. Is that people hear you do one thing like photography or yes. like they know you know how to use Canva or Photoshop. And then they're like, can you do all this other stuff yeah. as well? So everything related. Yeah, yeah. And it really is handy to have multiple skill sets like that. It really helps you yeah. open up a lot more doors for a career. Mm. But the comm department, um, where I had come for my associate degree, they switched to the full four-year BYU-Idaho, and I decided to go back and finish. And when I came back to finish my bachelor's degree in communication, um, they knew that I was working as a graphic designer, and I was a photographer. So they asked me to teach adjunct and develop a visual media course that would help comm majors get graphic design and basic imaging skills to help them, um, you know, get be able to open more doors for the hiring process. And that becoming it became a very successful course. Students were rating it as the most beneficial course they took in the comm department. Oh, nice. So we realized we needed more because they were getting jobs because of that one course that set them apart from all the people they were competing with for the communication jobs. Mm. Yeah, I feel like you're you were a great person at that. It's just like the right timing for you <laughs> to get into to BYU Idaho because that's where they needed that and you're that kind of person that's like a just from our conversations is like you're just as much of a student as your students Mm -hmm. you know exactly and I think sometimes it's easier and I've noticed when I've developed now seven courses for the university and if you um, are an expert when you develop a course sometimes it's hard for students to learn uh, at a beginning level yeah. But I was not much past that when I started. I was had graphic design, but I really I tried to test out projects on my 16-year-old daughter to see if she could do them. And if I was making sense and my tutorials were working for her. So, um that's something I now that I'm, you know, had this experience, I go back and say, "Yeah, but when someone's a beginner, how do you teach that?" Mm-hmm. Cuz I remember that being a thing as I got more advanced and people are going, "What?" and I'm going, "Okay, let's go back to the basics." So, yeah, that's important. But the university hired me um, as a part-time adjunct professor and um, instructor. And so I was teaching visual media and developing some things. And then I started teaching a digital imaging class and developed all these different courses. And we it became a whole emphasis. Right. So we started getting a lot of students that were, you know, um, choosing the visual communication emphasis, which really prepared them for awesome array of 
uh, careers in visual media marketing. Yeah. You know, we have, you know, art department, uh, kind of a blend of art, communication, and business marketing. Right. So it was very successful, and it's just uh, worked out well to to get students hired. So anyway, um, we needed to hire more instructors. So mm-hmm. some of my former teaching assistants, Eric Libert, James Rognan, Corey Kerr, mm-hmm. um, have come back to, to we, got, we hired them to come and help teach these courses. So they yeah. were able to get very good jobs um, based on this visual communication direction. Were they working? Um, oh yeah, you're, you're good. Um, were they working bef- uh, before they came back to be hired yes. as faculty. Yeah, James Rognan, for example, um, after he he was a, he took a lot of business classes as well as visual comm, but he uh, was working um, in the marketing department for Cabela's, uh, oh, the okay. nationwide you know company, and um, yeah, they'd all had some really good experience with either web design or graphic design or marketing. So the three of them in particular worked really well to come back and help us with these courses in visual communication that I had been developing. We knew we needed them. And they had a lot of hand-on business, real-world business experience. So it really was a good combination. I would design the courses and I got it started. It was wildly successful. But um, yeah, I, I decided to get my graduate degree in educational technology because I felt if I was going to be designing this many courses which I had never planned on teaching here. I needed to understand how (laughs) students learned, you know. I was just a graphic designer, and then now I'm teaching them, and I want to know how they learn and what what are the best ways to incorporate hands-on learning, which I do in my classes with the photography at the last part of class. We do do some, you know, um, camera, some photo shoots right there in class so that we can help students get some formative feedback and talk about, you know, what they need to improve before they get grades attached to it. And yeah. So, and we go on um, photo excursions to get that experience together. And there's something that is amazing about going, spending a whole day at Bannock Ghost Town, for example. Yeah. With a whole busload of students. And I have my advanced students come from professional imaging class to be the instructors of each group. Yeah. And we have 13 models who live in Montana that are my friends who come dressed in period costume. They're old mountain men and mountain women. And it just, the town comes alive. And the the exponential growth that takes place that day is really a key because they learn um, from each other by watching the more advanced photographers. Mm -hmm. They learn from these models. They, you know, and it's just come back and the photos they get and then they learn editing skills where I really focus on that. Um, You've got to get a great photo right out of your camera, but you have to be able to edit it well and yeah, you have to kind of see the end goal sometimes, too, because mm-hmm. I was there. Obviously, yes. that was um, for one of those trips, which was super cool. Yeah. And I, I had I messed around with like cinematography a little bit before, like I did video. Yes. Uh-huh. But, but then, then photography was something that I was so intimidated by. <laughs> not going <laughs> to lie. Um, so when I came to Bannock, I feel like I was confident to hold a camera and be able to I know I could like figure out what I wanted to do almost like I knew I could get something out of my camera right. after that. So I can definitely attest and like testify of that. You yeah. know, as a we witness. do get a lot of video students that take the visual calm classes yeah. because it's the same tool and learning composition and lighting. Yeah. You know, a lot of those things they can they can use in their video careers as well. Yeah. So the visual emphasis in the communication department is comprised of graphic design, web design, photography, mm-hmm. so social media marketing, and some video. 
So we really try to focus on hands-on skills that, that will help these students go out and get jobs. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to talk about hands-on. Like, I was just thinking about it. Yeah. Because yeah. with the Bannock, the whole Bannock th- example, yes. you know, students get there and they learn just by, like, being hands-on. Yes. Um, we teach them camera settings, you yeah. know, in class and then all the way over on the bus, how to set up bracketing. Yeah. And, like, we're talking they about get it there. the whole day. Yeah, I have them in a small group of five, Yeah, you know, um, including a, an advanced student that can help them get some of their assignments done. Then they go out on their own and shoot and they come back and they get yeah. help. So we have a lot of subgroups and then they rotate with this lighting. We get lighting. We have all kinds of it, continuous and strobe lighting and and this is our beginning photography class. They're learning yeah. and they're getting exposure to all of this. Yeah. So they understand when they work, you know, in their careers, what it takes For to sure. do all this. And yeah, yeah. and then they, we go on to web, you know, the web part of it and, and career and setting up a professional photography business with a website and all the other things like food and product photography and architectural when we get into the professional imaging class. And that was kind of fun. You know, as we were talking, um, they, we, I, I require my students to get at least two photos in the top um, 50 images of a web search with 10 million or more hits. And, I, and there's a formula of 20 different SEO um, requirements that you have to meet with a WordPress website. We use a Divi template. And then they can get their photography and their design and their video, whatever it is they want to get a job in, they can put that on their website and within a few weeks they can be at the top of those huge searches. And yeah. some get into the like 250 million and on up they're at the top with someone's search for that topic, whether yeah. it's food and product photography or portraits. No, honestly, that's, amazing. A, that's like a great thing for anyone who's, I guess, I mean, there's a lot of kind of students that listen to this, but like those that would be like communications or like photography or like art and want to get their stuff seen. I think that's kind of intimidating sometimes is like, like I have like content that I want to like share, but I don't know how people are going to see it. I feel like I see that all the time where people start right. things and they just have a, they struggle to be discovered maybe. And mm-hmm. um, that can be sometimes discouraging, but right. others it can be motivating, but it's kind of cool to hear about the SEO thing. So actually what are like, like a few of those okay. things that like a student So a few important things is that when people set up a website, say they use WordPress Mm -hmm. and they have a Divi template, it by Divi is like. Could you explain that? It's yeah, Elegant Themes. um, It's a template made by Elegant Themes that has become very popular because Mm -hmm. it automates a lot of back end, a lot of you know HTML and coding. So it makes you have a really beautiful site with just putting in content and using these plugins. And so a lot of web developers are developing plugins and things for Divi. And it become, has become kind of an industry standard to build a website. So okay. people with very little knowledge can develop a WordPress self-hosted website now mm-hmm. with this Divi template. Yeah, because the basic WordPress, I guess, is just not... Well, that's a free blog. The free blog yeah. that we do in Comp 300 is just a way to get started with some keywords. But the keys to getting your self-hosted site at the top, it has to be self-hosted. It can't be the free WordPress blog. Oh, okay. So it has to be the other kind of WordPress. There's WordPress.com and WordPress.org. You've got to do a self-hosted where you own, you buy your own domain, and then you use a Divi template. But if you use the default, here's what nobody knows. Everybody is actually building category pages, which the Google spiders will never pick up hmm. and put it at the top of a search. Category pages. Unless you know how to go and change that default to an actual page, you can't even get started on the other 19 things you need to do, okay, <laughs> which is, uh, which is repeating keywords. <laughs> you've got to repeat keywords. You've got to gotcha. be sure you don't try to 
paste fake stuff in. It's got to be in the content. You have to name your images with the same keywords. Repeat them like 12 times throughout the post. So, so consistency is so, like a huge So yeah, part. all of those things make a difference. Um, but you have to start off with the right type of website to begin with. So mm -hmm. I, have, I have friends who are food and product photographers. And they have been trying for 18 years to get at the top of the search so that someone who wants that can find them and hire them. Yeah. Well, I, I tried it, and two weeks later, I'm at the you know number one photo <laughs> out of seven, 73 million hits you know, or images. And they're saying, how did you do that? And I said, well, it's all about web design. But I needed to learn food and product photography to teach my students how to do it. But I'm not. That's not my specialty. Right. But I started showing them, if I build a website the right way, which I learned some tips from a former student mm -hmm. about some of these things, but all the SEO classes that I know of don't teach this, and it works. So well, I say, when you're in a business and you have your own company and someone says, why don't you hire me to do your SEO? Ask them one question. If I give you a topic, can you be at the top of that search if it has 50 million within two weeks? Because if they can't do that for you, don't pay them. Oh, that, that means okay. they don't know these secrets. And so um, when, I, when I teach them and require them to have their own website to promote the work they develop in my classes, and it works, they are so excited. Right. And, you know, start, people start contacting you. And I just, for example, um, if you've heard of Lonely Planet. Lonely Planet. It's a travel company, international travel company. Okay. Cool. To give you an idea how big they are, it, their Italy division alone has a print subscription and an online subscription to a magazine. They print 30,000 copies every other month and send out and mail out. So they still are doing a lot of print magazines. Plus they have a digital. So Lonely Planet is a big deal. Well, and I've heard of them, but I, I was with my husband um, out of the country on a trip um, mm -hmm. at Thanksgiving last year. And I get this message from Lonely Planet and they ask if they can purchase one of my images to use on the cover of their next publication, their next magazine. Very cool. And it was a lighthouse uh, that I took uh, oh. in a unique way up. Uh, eye level with the light and it, it was a, it's a haunted lighthouse that people can stay in part of the, the, the light keeper's house and it's okay. pretty famous it's on the Oregon coast and they found it by searching for you know certain lighthouses the SEO. they found my website they contacted me and they wanted to buy that to put on the cover and it was a 30,000 subscription magazine and so I get content like that all the time by people and I say well I'm a professor I do that website to teach students how to get their work out there and I have an Instagram following when I did a little experiment I took about six months and did a project for the university and I tried to teach social media marketing and I went from 1200 to 20,000 on my Instagram mm -hmm. using good content but also teaching photo tips with every photo and so as I'm learning to teach my students better, I'm developing my skills, people like my style, and they're contacting me to come speak at this photo camera club, come teach at this workshop. And so I started, I reduced to a 75% contract here, taking one semester off so I could start teaching photo workshops. Mm -hmm. But now I'm finishing up with a full 100% contract these last two years here at BYU-Idaho. But right when I retire, I already have, a, you know, like two 17-day tours uh, you know, various places around the world that oh, I have wow. people who have already paid for those workshops in That's advance. Cool. Where are you going? So, um, Where are some of those workshops so going? So, Mexico, um, wow, Italy. Mexico. Um, I teach right there in Island Park in Yellowstone, where we live, right on the Buffalo River. It's an hour drive from here, and okay. So that has become uh, another career um, for me to move into during retirement. Mm -hmm. That is something I really enjoy, but it was never a plan. It was just something I was developing. Right. to teach my students and I found ways that it worked through social media through my website 
and talk to a lot of people and put these things together that have helped them get really versatile skill set, but also to launch their own careers. And that was my goal is to teach them how to yeah. sell prints and how to go get jobs doing these things with portrait photography or whatever it is. And 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 it's ended up being kind of a good retirement mm. career for me. But yeah, it's been fun. So um, it's interesting. I guess there's a lot of because you said that like you didn't expect to kind of be in this position, right? Right, from starting with your homebrew graphic yes. design stuff that you do, where you're probably like what, like screen printing and stuff, or a little um, bit. Yeah, I mean, I would develop the design work okay. and okay. take it to a t-shirt shop for people, oh, or design gotcha. design their logos and. But so um, from that to yeah. where you're going to Mexico and Italy, it's pretty cool and. I'm sure you get a lot of students that might come to you and say, I really love photography or I really love graphic design or I like social media and I don't know <clears throat> how exactly I'm going to make that into a career. I don't know if I'm going to love my first job or something. So like, what would you say to mm, students like yeah. that who are maybe just uncertain or maybe the path just isn't very, yes. very clear? So I really think it's important to have a versatile skill set. If you only do one thing and you're really good at it and you go really deep, that's great if you happen to find the right career at the right time and you pray for the uh, doors to open up. And if that's what you feel inspired to do, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I have seen a lot of students who just don't ever get the right job if they have that much depth in one area. So I really encourage them to get a broad skill set. Mm -hmm. I love graphic design. You know, I've learned photography and now that's my passion. But I also um, like to write and edit and you, you know, you have a combination of skills, and I've added video to it now. And on my Enlightened tour that I do for the university, I do video photography um, and do blog posts and tutorials, um, you know, for, of the people, cultures, and landscapes when I travel. Yeah. And um, put them on a website. It's free content for everybody in the world. So that has been awesome. But I think it's, it's daunting for students when they, they think they have a plan. But I just think, like the IDS degree here on campus is brilliant. President oh, yeah. Iring was a big fan of it. Yeah. yeah, because they let you choose three different areas, three different majors. You'll do a concentration or a minor, you know, yeah. and a couple and a concentration and another, because then you have so many more options for getting a career. Mm. So I developed a visual communication and business concentration that is offered in the IDS degree. Students can take that. They could do a photography from the art department. They could do... They could do, a, you know, the visual comm. They're going to get some, all those different things we talked about, social media marketing. and But you need to have a broad skill set because then it will open up a lot more doors and you'll have some basic training. And then get your in-depth training on the job. On it's the job. tailored to that job. Yeah. But if you don't have anything on your resume um, for half the careers that are open there, you're not going to even be able to apply. Yeah, because I imagine even if you got your first job and you're like, I'm not really crazy about this, which might more than likely, I don't know, happen. Yeah. Hopefully not for anyone who is in that position. But um, having lots of options by... Yeah. But I, I also think that's probably like a, um, a characteristic of people like yourself who kind of are super curious about a lot of things in, say, communications, like a visual field. Mm -hmm. I think, like, that jack-of-all-trades sort of mindset probably helps with those kind of people. Right. Have you ever, do you ever know about that quote? It used to bother me that jack-of-all-trades is master of none. Yes. But that's not the whole quote. And one time right. I, was, I was teaching in my, in my, one of my, in my students, and I have a theme at the beginning, and, and I said that. I said, I don't agree with that. And someone said, well, wait a minute. You got, you're forgetting the other half of the quote. Mm. 
So the other half, if you Google it, is something like, well, jack of all trades is master of none, but master of one is, oh, you need to Google that and check it yeah, out because yeah, it turns, it's just the opposite of what everyone thinks. Right. It's, it says that, um, yeah, it's better to be versatile. So right. the quote that I always said I disagreed with, I actually really love now because everyone misquotes it and just takes the first part out. So, right, because I think people mistake it for saying that you're too spread thin, right. that there's no depth. Well, look right. at my example with graphic design. My home-based business ended up getting me a teaching job here at BYU-Idaho. Mm -hmm. But it was the photography part that my clients kept asking for. Can't you just take these photos for us so we don't have to get someone else? Mm -hmm. And I learned the basic photography skills so I could do that. Well, that's what will happen. And by having more basic skills to start with, then you'll be able to offer more, whether it's a, your own business or whether you're working for another company. So what is the actual quote? It says, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Right, yeah, Emma. There, there you go. go. Emma, come in with the quotes. <laughs> Emma, are you a, a master of one or are you a... a, a Jack of all trades. Oh, that's a tough question. I feel like I tend to be agree more with what Sister Espen has to say over here about being a jack of all trades. I feel like I definitely double in. I agree. I like graphic design. I like photography. Mm -hmm. I'm a communications major here on campus, and I really enjoy the whole digital and social media side of things. And I think I've just found through my life that... Um, the more things you kind of dabble in, the more fun your life can be sometimes, I feel like. Yeah. It just opens up all these different doors and opportunities for you to be able to expand your knowledge and get to know different people. And Yeah, that digital and social media, that emphasis is amazing. Yeah. And, and it's very related to visual calm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so important that everybody gets some experience in that, no matter what your degree is. You're going to be asked to help promote whatever your company is, you mm. know, on social media. It's just part of our lives. I mean, right now I got an offer um, from Instagram to, they, they're paying me for doing reels. Oh, I wow. don't really have time, but I said, okay. <laughs> and so like, I've been trying them. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do because that. Uh, we just have a, it's a, I've started a new project called a new media project. Okay. Com cool. 300. I want cool. to expand their photography skills and try reels and things. And so if they haven't done it before, so I've been testing them out to see how much I could get um, from it. Yeah. You know, and I've made a few hundred dollars on the first few reels, and they've gone to, I don't know, 16000 or 20000 yeah. I don't remember. They're starting to get there. And so it is discouraging at first for people when they're trying to get a following. Um, mm. But if you do a lot of research, watch a lot of videos, talk to a lot of people, ask people who are really big how they got there. And if they have real followers that are actually engaging making comments and, and liking their posts and not just that key. they purchased yeah, them. Yeah, that's key right yes. there. <laughs> so, but that takes a lot of time. And some people, you don't have time if you have another business or you have a job. Yeah. But it will become a key if you can get a basic following like that. So um, it opens up doors for a lot of careers, for sure. So I just tried to stay up on things, Noah. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh... That's a whole thing I'm getting old, but I love to learn. And so <laughs> I'm constantly watching YouTube videos and trying to learn. I just don't update my hairstyle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I, I, bet, I bet people, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of styles that come back, you know? You know what? Like the whole mullet look, it's coming oh, back. It's coming so if I just put this behind maybe, my ears. Maybe if you like got like a... Like trim the that yeah, very side. Yeah, I did it a little shorter, shorter and then the mullet's back in. <laughs> Isn't that crazy how that works? Are you excited for your 
you're traveling for your workshops? Go yes, to, yeah, it is. It's like I say, I've taken a few semesters off to try out this alternate career that I'm going to be moving into, and I do love to take to be a guide, mm-hmm. to take people to amazing places, but show them unique things that they never would see on their own to take photos of. Yeah, and I've taught my students a, a project called OSIS, Ordinary Spot, Extraordinary Shot, and they say, "Oh, there's nothing to shoot around here in Rexburg." I'll say, "Oh, yeah." And they go out, and you have to find an ordinary spot and take a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to look in there and either use lighting or time of day or close-up or whatever, find an extraordinary shot yeah. in that scene somehow. And you'll be shocked with what they come up with. I'll remember my favorite one, um, Aubrey Ogard, a few years ago. She did one right in her apartment. Like, here's this messy closet. She took a picture of it, and then she just thought, there's got to be something amazing, texture, abstract, something here. She laid down on her back underneath the clothes in her closet, mm-hmm. and she took a photo straight up oh, wow. at the, the bottom edges of all those different colors weaving in and out of underneath her clothes. I bet that looked so And then she did some dark. dodge and burn, made the shadows darker and the colors. It was an incredible photograph. And so by challenging ourselves to look at things in a new way, you can really, um, really get some amazing results. And then you learn how to do things like that for the business you're working for or for your own business. Yeah. And how to, to um, use your skills both in a camera, with camera settings, but in post-production. Yeah. So that's an example of the type of projects I like to give students that they can really yeah. apply and use and come up with something exciting out of an ordinary situation. Yeah. I think it's a cool principle and like exercise for just about anything, but really, especially with like something like photography and visual communications. What are um, some of the things like career paths that you've seen or like jobs that you've seen like some of your more recent students get? So a lot of students um, in the visual comm emphasis that I've worked with end up getting careers um, in visual media marketing. They'll work for companies where they do a combination of photography and video or maybe copy ad writing with, um, you know, doing layout in Adobe InDesign, their graphic design skills with photography or photo editing. A lot of them use, you know, they start their own companies. I have a lot of success, students who have successful professional photography businesses. In fact, one student, Megan Kelly, was one of my teaching assistants. She lives in Utah, and she does these destination wedding and engagement shoots then she does really well. I think on TikTok, she's like one of the biggest. It's um, Lightseeker. The, the Light Seeker. The Light Seeker. She was my TA. Yeah. Yeah. She's super cool. She will show you speed up. She'll do her editing process. She'll oh, show yeah. you in a really fast um, capture of her editing. I, I love, I have to say, like, I watched one of them, and it was like, she'll go through a compilation of, like, all the different requests that she gets. Yes. And it's like, can you, like, or it's like, uh, what is it? Short my hair. It's a, it's a race. So she's amazing. And she even, um, we ran out part of our cabin up on the Buffalo River and we had a wedding there and I recommended her and mm-hmm. she's super busy, but they hired her to come up and just to watch her. And, you know, she started with me with her photography career. She developed quickly an amazing following, but She's very good, and now she has a very successful career, and a lot of students do. Um, there's so many. F- think about all the people who need product photography to promote everything on social media, or or to sell it on Amazon, or to put it on a website, and learning lighting and things like that. There's just so many good careers now related to photography because images really sell. 
on a website, doesn't matter what it is in print. And so there's, you know, not just selling your landscape photos. There's so many careers related to professional oh imaging. And you're doing reels right now, right? You're still so doing yes, reels? I've started into the reels, um, but I really like to just teach, show three different images that I bracket together and give photo tips. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I'm starting to do a lot with videos. And when I go on these trips, I, I found that even if I take a really nice video camera, you know, an, an iPhone or any good, you know, Android 2, have 4K video, put them mm -hmm. on a tripod, plug in a mic with a little lavalier clip. Yeah. I like the plug-in ones rather than, you know, wireless because those can get interference sure and I just have like a 20-foot cord on that and I can do interviews with people where you cut out all the ambient noise you have beautiful clear audio 4k video and it's easier to just transfer those files back to my assistant who can put them up on you know the website for me and it's just amazing the things you can do with video interviews mm -hmm. and before I photograph someone I like to talk to them you know about their their culture their life and they can see that I'm interested then they're not intimidated when I get my camera out if they see I'm genuinely interested and I want to share their culture in this country, whether it's in Asia or Vietnam or Myanmar when I've been there, or China or in Europe, oh, yeah. and I want to share with my students and the people at home what you're doing here. Here they are in a cemetery. They're digging up all these old things. People are planting flowers, and they all have their little plot, and these guys are out working in the cemetery, and it was an awesome photo, but I didn't just go up and start taking the picture. I talk to them. I ask them what their job is and what they're doing, and I have to use Google Translate because they speak only Italian. And I learned all about their career. And they, they stopped and spent five minutes with me. And then, then I said, can I take photos and share this story with people? Oh, yeah. But at first, if you walk up with your camera and start trying to take pictures of people, no. Mm. And you got to um, show genuine interest. And you got to be curious and want to learn about it. And so uh, enlightenproject.net is where I put the photos and videos from, from that. And I'm going to do one more of those um, tours next Spring of 2023 for the university. I'll spend six weeks all through Europe doing the same thing. Really? Um, videos and photography of the people, cultures, and landscapes. Cool. And go through several different countries what's, in Europe. What's like the weeks. intent behind a project like that? So I'm the curious. idea is to train people about how to capture and share <clears throat> cultures, landscapes, and, and people's lives. Um, you know, in a way that's interesting, but also I teach photo tips the whole way through. Yeah. Or video tips, how to use your phone with this kind of a mic, or how do you keep the spray from that waterfall from getting on your lens and whether you should use a filter or not. So the whole time it's full of these photo tips. So I do one minute Instagram photo tips or I'll do longer YouTube videos to teach them how to edit. And so I have a YouTube channel with all that. And so I develop free content for people to get video tutorials on how to do photography, but also to learn about the cultures and the people and the places I go. Because to me, that's the most interesting thing and capturing it to tell their story is what I do with the videos and the photography. Mm. But yeah, okay. I teach them how to capture it as well. I don't know, I think it enriches your teaching, right? Because we kind of talked about, I think, bef I think it was off the podcast right before, we were yes. saying how like it's good that uh, you have some credibility as like a teacher, right? That yes. you do more current stuff and that you're still, you, it's yes. nice, for, nice for students to see that you're still doing things. Yeah, and that's it. Things I that they want to do. I you believe know? in being a practitioner. How yeah. can I teach this? and help you become successful at it if I'm not currently a practitioner. That's right. why I have an active Instagram. That's why I'm posting and doing reels and testing, testing out all the new things because I want to understand it. And yeah, I, take, I have to go watch some video tutorials. I have to Google it and have a few all-nighters here and there to learn it. It's not easy. Yeah. But I want to stay ahead or at least with my students so that they will see, oh, 
she's doing that and she's she doing that, that and I want to learn that and oh look got her a new job and she made a cover of that magazine and how come yeah. so I really think it's effective to be a practitioner while you're teaching oh yeah for sure I love which those means kind you of gotta teachers. put in a lot of extra hours on your weekends and if you have kids at home that's hard to do yeah so as you get older <laughs> like in my place if I stay actively involved in it I have more time mm-hmm. than younger you know instructors would for sure right you're you you're a you're like a night owl, aren't you? Oh, you yeah. I, I have been known to stay up uh, a couple times a week, a little bit too late. But <laughs> just because like my mind just like is just going, mind. right? Just like yeah. us. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You're yeah. one of us. And <laughs> I, you know, in fact, I find that I need less sleep as I get older. But oh, wow. I, I've learned, though, that that isn't something you can expect from other people. Everyone needs sure. a different amount of sleep. And they get their rest and their, their relaxation and, you know, their downtime in different ways. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's it's something you just gotta. Everybody has to do their own way. But I, I've been I've known I see other people that are posting or making comments at like two and three in the morning, and I think, not good for you. It's gonna age you. But then I <laughs> but then do then it by like other people. <laughs> you're also reading it. And then you like the comment yeah. at three a.m. Like, Oops, I gotta go get some sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Should not be awake. But sometimes it's when your mind is so active and you have, oh, yeah. like I'm helping um, helping with the design of this new course. Have you heard of the Women in the Scriptures course? Uh-huh. Women in the Scriptures course? That sounds oh. so Yeah, so awesome. Tiffany Wait, are Savage. Are to know this? Sister Savage, yeah, it's public okay. knowledge. Okay. Sister Savage okay. has been wanting to have this Women in the Scriptures course. Okay. And if it all gets approved, you know, it's in course development. Everybody knows it's being developed. And there's a team of us helping her. And, and hopefully it's going to be offered winter semester. For the first time, Women in the Scriptures, 390R. And it's oh, pretty cool to be on that we team. But as we're going through the curriculum and the way to, to um, learn about the patterns of discipleship and the Christ-like attributes of the women in the Scriptures and how to make that meaningful and study it, and we're coming up with you know uh, assessments and activities to really make that awesome, I can't help but see it visually. So one of my photography students from the professional imaging class is for her senior project, Aubrey Christiansen. She is going to be doing eight different photos of women, like Eve and you know Rebecca or whatever, wow. to feature in the different units. And she'll be doing them with the colors and the fabrics, and you know the style of you know holding old pottery and things to to use for the illustration of this course. That's so, so cool. But as I'm helping with these assignments, I, I stay up sometimes till two or three in the morning after we've had a meeting so that I can gradually, I can visually make a chart. So last yes. night I was doing that till I don't know, really late. And I got up this morning and finished it and I've developed kind of a logo and used an image for a placeholder we found of Eve that's beautiful painting. And we'll replace those with our own as we get the course out there. But it has to be visual for me. If I start typing the content, it just feels so much better and looks so much better because you know that two-thirds of all learners are visual learners. And having the image is important. So the colors, the way they match together using these earth tones for the women in the scriptures. So making the visual part of that become a reality has just means so much more to visual learners. And so mm-hmm. and um, anyway, so I'm constantly adapting my graphic design and my photography into everything I do 
the courses that I've developed, but also I'm able, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to help with a religion course before I retire. That's, I think that's, that's so nice cool because I don't think a lot of people think about, they think, oh, a religion course, and they don't realize that like skills like graphic design and photography and mm -hmm. seeing things visually and stuff have to necessarily go into that to make it all successful. Well, a lot of times people don't think it's necessary, but it's, you learn so much faster when you see the visual sure. and all the content is king. That's the most important thing is good content. Yeah. But when you have it and you marry it with the queen, which is visual appeal and visual design, then it's easier to retain. You see an image, that speaks a thousand words, it really does. And you have a few short words on a slide and you don't put the whole quote, and you have this image, that's what people are gonna remember. For sure. Color coding for each unit, all of that is important in a course design, for sure. Yeah, it's like a, it's all about having like a, a greater experience I think like mm -hmm. there's all aspects of learning but like if you're able to pull like a lot of that in effectively then it's like in, it's just more enriching I feel like so okay. don't underestimate the visual aspects <laughs> that's for <sure>. right <laughs> that's right that's cool so who who do you learn from now since you're the teacher right like are there other professionals out there that you like or non-professionals whoever that you yes one of my favorite photographers um, yeah. is Dave, Dave Black Dave Black. Dave Black. I learned light painting from him. Okay. And I teach it now, but I love... He started as a graphic designer. And so he does light painting in a different way. He, he illuminates from the dark a scene. So as an artist, he decides what to hit a flashlight with. So I love light painting, whether it includes the night sky and the Milky Way, or if it's just of an old Vespa in Italy on a, on a Tuscan wall, and I paint in the parts I want. I shine the light longer in the headlights so it looks like the light's on on the scooter. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, then I dodge and burn, which is the opposite of HDR. You make the shadows darker and the highlights brighter, but then you keep some things in, in great shadows so that it accentuates the focal point. Mm -hmm. And it's really art with photography, but you paint the light in rather than editing it in post. But I also love to do dodge and burn, which is what Ansel Adams did mm -hmm. in the darkroom. You know, and I learned to do that with, you know, developing part of the image longer, uh, burning it in and dodging it and so that you can accentuate certain things. So really photography and art are one for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I love to get an image perfect right out of my camera. But how often does that happen? Never. Not too often. But if you <laughs> bracket and you do three different exposures, then you get one for the highlights, the midtones and the shadows and blend them together and some dodge and burn, then you can tell your story and create the scene that you saw with your eyes when that sunset was amazing, but it was super dark in the foreground, but your eyes can see the details in the shadows. Well, if you bracket, which is an automatic setting on most cameras, and blend them together, you can, you can tell that story accurately. Or you can do something artistic and blend images together and do montage and do something more artistic as well. But Any other artists? So Dave Black um, for photography, I re I'll tell you what I really enjoy right now um, is watching reels. Oh, yeah? And it can really take up a lot of time, right? Oh, for sure. But <laughs> I love the fast replay. A seven-second or a 15-second reel that you can share on a story that just boom, boom, boom. Every half a second or second, a new photo, a video clip maybe thrown in the middle, and even, even some motion. Um, it's so fast, but it is just, like, exciting and captivating. So, again, that's a new style. And I have a daughter, Zoe, who, who went to school here for an associate degree and actually finished online and um, in social media marketing. Nice. And she um, did some classes at BYU. 
ended up finishing online with BYU-Idaho. And she, she connects brands um, with influencers. So I've been getting tips from her. What's going to work? They're paying me to do these reels. How can, you know, she's talking about these short ones, the fast ones, get music, get exciting, try to go on the beat. And I've just, as I watch those for examples, I just find it's a new, really awesome way to share photography and video mixed, but in a fast uh, visual way that gets people excited to see a bunch of neat scenes in a row. And they keep watching it over and over because they're captivated by it, and that's when they why the why the you know they go up to twenty thousand or yeah. two million views right away, but it's something that is a new style, really quick, fast images, and so I think you just have to stay up on that. If you love this industry and you want to stay up on it, it's constantly being a practitioner. If you're going to be a teacher, and since that's what I'm going to do in my next career after I retire here, mm-hmm. is I'm going to teach. And it's a lot of um, a big range of ages. Instead of teaching digital natives like you two who understand technology, yeah. a lot, lot of them don't. And they're taking this as a retirement hobby. And they have plenty of money to get nice equipment, nice cameras, and go traveling. Mm-hmm. But I also get some younger professionals that have had a really successful career and they want to go on these trips. So we have all ages, uh, a range of ages so fun. and skill levels. But it's harder for them to do the editing part and to learn how the cameras work. And so it's a whole different type of teaching that I'll be doing. Yeah. Yeah. But I love it too. And it's just fun to see people progress and um, be able to capture stories of amazing places and of amazing people and share that. Yeah. So I actually have a question about graphic design and fine art. Yes. Because some people, like you said, come from like that... I like how you said digital native. I thought that was super funny. Like that, yeah. Yeah, digital natives. It's like, oh, I'm not a millennial. It's like a digital native. Yeah. A lot of older people are digital immigrants. And we have to, yeah. we have to immigrate to it because it, we didn't yeah. have a phone and a tablet in our hand at age three. Oh, yeah, it's like total like sense. And like people that come from, say, like modern graphic design now, um, what is like, what do you think? Because I had this conversation with another artist yes. who comes from a fine art background, right? Yes. And then she liked graphic design, but she thought that fine art should come first before you get into graphic design. Mm, interesting. I'm curious, like, it doesn't so, matter yeah. which. Direction, uh, my sister but... is a fine artist. Okay. She was trained professionally, got a degree in it, and a wildly successful watercolor artist. Okay. So she had a different approach, though. Rather than painting to please the art critic, after she learned it all. She painted to please the public. People wanted paintings of the Tetons with the wildflowers. She, they want teepees or they want, and so around you know, the Old West. And so she would, she would go and make, when everybody was making maybe two or 3,000 a year, uh, sitting at art shows with their art, she's making six figures. Wow. Because, because she starts off with small prints that are very affordable, $15, mass produces prints. You know, and then she has the jaclays, which are numbered and they're limited edition. And she has giant originals that are five feet by seven feet that she sells for 10 grand. She, she hits every part of the market. So she entices people with a $15, maybe a $100 one. Then they come back with their siblings next year and buy a nice painting for 500 for their parents for Christmas. And they go in on it together. And they start investing in her art. And they buy something at the art shows that they go to in Park City or Jackson or wherever every year. And they get something new and they get a gift for people. And they start buying the more expensive stuff. And so she was really an expert in marketing her art when no one else was making any money. They're starving artists. So I learned from her as a fine artist, negative space and all the things that she could teach me. 
but also about marketing because she wasn't afraid. And some of her friends said, nah, you're cheapening, you're, you're just marketing. And well, it pays the bills, you know, it, it produces <laughs> income. Right. And so I take that approach. But um, back to your question again. Is should fine art come first okay. or graphic design? So for her, she would say fine art. Sure. I, I have done some painting, but it wasn't really my thing. I immediately started in arts and letters, was the first graphic design program that I learned about. Mm -hmm. And I started designing things and graphically loving to use shapes and letters. And, and I really was fascinated by graphic design. And so to illustrate and tell the story, whether it's to illustrate a book, and I've, I've sold several books for different courses and 12 universities are using one of my um, graphic design textbooks right now. It's called Visual Focus. And I love taking the photos and the design and the layout of that. And Emily Coons was awesome to help me with that whole project. It was exhausting, but I, I really get a, a big um, kick out of doing that kind of layout. And so for me, it was graphic design, but really photography started coming into it almost at the same time. Using imagery in a, in a photo art way, but also in a realistic right out of the camera, journalistic style, and being able to meld that together with graphic design. And then will I ever get to fine art? I don't know, to me that's my art. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people who spend so much time learning the, the art history and the fine art techniques, it's wonderful. I would like to learn how to use clay and sculpt and throw pots. I've done a little Very of cool. that and do book arts. But definitely a different approach that they think is more crafty. And But I, I really love being able to market a business to the public. Mm. So being an entrepreneur myself, but being able to do that is, is what really is thrilling. So I yes. respect what my sister did mm. and what your friend did. I think it's amazing. And maybe they also can do graphic design because my sister and her friend, who are amazing fine artists, would go at Christmas time. Okay. To go make ten grand in about a week and a half, they would paint windows on all the banks and the grocery stores. On the outside, they would take their watercolor paints and paint scenes of carolers and, you know, happy holidays, merry Christmas, and beautiful scenes. And they just paint the whole southeast Idaho up. Deanne Halley and Kathy Harris, and everybody knew them, and they knew they were artists, and it was awesome to see them just do this kind of graphic, put it on the window for two weeks. Thing. That's cool. So they became graphic artists in that way. Gotcha. Um, and so I guess they, yeah, they would definitely agree with your friend. But because yeah. I wasn't trained as a fine artist, I had great influence from one. Yeah. And so if you graphic designers that respect it and learn from that, even if they don't have the full degree in it, I think you can learn a lot yourself. I really believe yeah. in self-education. Yeah. I think you're like the practitioner artist. Like it's really cool to see you practitioner artist, practitioner teacher maybe is yeah. more accurate, but Well, thank you. I think yeah. that is a compliment. Of course. Like I think just it's cool to learn from someone who is also just trying to learn so much, but is doing so much at the same time. Cause it's good to know and good to take things in, but then also good to act and, and do and practice. So right. Yeah, some great, great examples from you today. So, yeah, do you have any other last questions? Or? Don't. That was good. Um, yeah. yeah, it was good. It was, it was good. nice. Well, welcome back. How was it? How'd you like the episode? What'd you learn? What'd you walk away with? Love to hear from you guys. Uh, follow us at our Instagram at P2Become and connect with us. Let us know your thoughts. Also connect with Karen Esplin if you'd love to follow her and see the kind of content that she's producing. You can see it at her Instagram at Karen Esplin Photo. She's got 20,000 followers on there. Anyways, guys, we have an awesome lineup of more speakers to come for season five. So stay tuned. 
We'll hear from you soon. And that's it for the podcast. 